0: Part One of The Road Past Kennesaw The Atlanta Campaign of Eighteen Sixty Four by Richard Manning McMurray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part One Spring, Eighteen Sixty Four one of the most important military campaigns of the american civil war was fought in northwestern georgia during the spring and summer of eighteen sixty four between northern forces under major-general william t sherman and confederates commanded first by general joseph e johnston and then by general john b hood this campaign resulted in the capture of atlanta by the unionists prepared the way for sherman's march to the sea and in the opinion of many historians made inevitable the reelection of abraham lincoln and the consequent determination of the north to see the war through to a final victory rather than accept a compromise with secession and slavery spring eighteen sixty four marked the beginning of the war's fourth year in the eastern theater three years of fighting had led to a virtual stalemate with the opposing armies hovering between washington and richmond about where they had been when the war began in eighteen sixty one however the situation was quite different in the vast area between the appalachian mountains and the mississippi river a region known in the eighteen sixties as the west there in eighteen sixty two federal armies had driven the southerners out of kentucky and much of tennessee in the following year the northerners secured control of the mississippi river and captured the important city of chattanooga by early eighteen sixty four union armies were posed for what they hoped would be a quick campaign to dismember the confederacy and end the war this feeling was well illustrated by an illinois soldier who wrote his sister on april twenty second i think we can lick the rebs like a book when we start to do it and hope we will clean rebeldom out of this summer so we will be able to quit this business to realize these hopes lieutenant-general ulysses s grant commander of the northern armies planned a simultaneous move on all fronts with the greatest efforts devoted to virginia where he would personally direct operations and to the region between the tennessee and chattahoochee rivers where the federals would be led by sherman and major-general nathan p banks grant hoped that banks would move from new orleans seize mobile and advance northward toward montgomery while sherman's force struck southward from chattanooga had these plans succeeded the confederacy would have been reduced to a small area along the coast of georgia the carolinas and virginia confederate victories in louisiana however made banks's projected campaign infeasible and sherman's drive southward into georgia with atlanta as the initial goal became the major union effort in the west leaders on both sides had long recognized the importance of atlanta located a few miles south of the chattahoochee and about a hundred and twenty miles from chattanooga in eighteen sixty four only richmond was more important to the south atlanta's four railroads were not only the best means of communication between the eastern and western parts of the confederacy but they were also the major lines of supply for the southern armies in virginia and north georgia the city's hospitals cared for the sick and wounded and her factories produced many kinds of military goods in the words of a northern editor atlanta was the great military depot of rebeldom in addition the city's capture would give the union armies a base from which they could strike further into georgia to reach such vital manufacturing and administrative centers as milledgeville macon augusta and columbus all of these things were clear to the men who led the opposing armies william tecumseh sherman was a thin nervous active man with a wild shock of reddish or light brown hair a forty-four year old native of ohio he had been graduated from the u s military academy in eighteen forty and after several years service in the army had resigned his commission to go into banking and later into education the outbreak of war had found him serving as superintendent of a military college in louisiana he resigned this position and returned to the north where he entered federal service rising rapidly in the army he was chosen as supreme commander in the west in early eighteen sixty four his soldiers liked him and affectionately called him uncle billy an officer who was with him in eighteen sixty four described the federal commander as tall and lank not very erect with hair like a thatch which he rubs up with his hands a rusty beard trimmed close a wrinkled face prominent red nose small bright eyes coarse red hands he smokes constantly sherman was also a dogged fighter unawed by obstacles that would have broken lesser men and grant knew he could be counted on to carry out his part of the grand strategical plan for eighteen sixty four sherman's assignment was to break up the confederate army in north georgia and to get into the interior of the enemy's country as far as you can inflicting all the damage you can against their war resources To accomplish this mission, he had almost a 100,000 men organized into three armies, the Army of the Cumberland, commanded by Major General George H. Thomas, the Army of the Tennessee, commanded by Major General James B. McPherson, and the Army of the Ohio, commanded by Major General John M. Schofield. By early May, Sherman had assembled these troops around Chattanooga and was prepared to march with them into Georgia opposed to sherman's host was the confederate army of tennessee commanded by general joseph e johnston johnston was a virginian and like sherman a graduate of west point class of eighteen twenty nine he had served in the u s army until virginia seceded in the spring of eighteen sixty one when he resigned and entered confederate service in december eighteen sixty three he was named commander of the major confederate force in the west and given the mission of defending the area against further northern advance johnston had an almost uncanny ability to win the support of his subordinates an arkansas officer who met the southern commander in early eighteen sixty four noted in his diary general johnston is about fifty years of age is quite gray and has a spare form an intelligent face and an expressive blue eye he was very polite raising his cap to me after the introduction unfortunately for the confederacy johnston was also secretive stubborn when dealing with his superiors petulant and too prone to see difficulties rather than opportunities. He constantly worried about defeat and retreat, and was hesitant to act. In sum, he was a man whose personality prevented him from effectively utilizing his many abilities. At the beginning of May, the 55,000 men of Johnston's army were concentrated around Dalton, Georgia, 35 miles southeast of Chattanooga. The Southern force consisted of two infantry corps commanded by Lieutenant Generals William J. Hardy and John Bell Hood, and a cavalry corps led by Major General Joseph Wheeler. What Johnston would do with these troops was still very much in doubt. The Confederate government wanted him to march into Tennessee and reestablish Southern authority over that crucial state johnston however believed that conditions for such an offensive were not favorable and that he should await sherman's advance defeat it and then undertake to regain tennessee at the opening of the campaign in early may this issue had not been settled the lack of understanding and cooperation between the government in richmond and the general in georgia illustrated by this incident was to hamper confederate efforts throughout the campaign three major rivers the ustenala the Etowah, and the chattahoochee flow from northeast to southwest across northern georgia dividing the area into four distinct geographical regions between chattanooga and ustenala several parallel mountain ranges slice across the state in such a manner as to hamper military movements the most important of these was rocky face ridge which ran from near the Ostenala to a point several miles north of dalton this ridge rose high above the surrounding valleys and was the barrier between johnston's army at dalton and sherman's forces at chattanooga there were three important gaps in this ridge mill creek gap west of dalton dug gap a few miles to the south and snake creek gap west of the little village of rasaka near the Ostenala dalton is on the eastern side of rocky face ridge the western and atlantic railroad which connected chattanooga and atlanta and served as the line of supply for both armies crossed the ustinala near risaca ran north for fifteen miles to dalton then turned westward to pass through rocky face ridge at mill creek gap and continued on to chattanooga During the winter, the Confederates had fortified the area around Dalton to such an extent that they believed it to be secure against any attack. Johnston hoped that the Federals would assault his lines on Rocky Face Ridge, for he was confident that he could hurl the Northerners back with heavy loss. Sherman, however, had no intention of smashing his army against what one of his soldiers called the Georgian Gibraltar northern scouts had found snake creek gap unguarded and the federal commander decided to send mcpherson's army of the tennessee through this gap to seize the railroad near resaca meanwhile thomas and schofield would engage the confederates at dalton to prevent their sending men to oppose mcpherson sherman hoped that when johnston discovered his line of supply in federal hands he would fall back in disorder and his army would be routed by the northerners by may six the federals were ready to begin the campaign sherman moved thomas and schofield toward dalton while mcpherson prepared to strike for snake creek gap johnston had not been idle he had deployed his men in strong positions to block the expected advance he had also requested reinforcements and these were on the way some coastal garrisons had been withdrawn from their posts and were being sent to join johnston more important though was the large body of troops from mississippi that was moving across alabama toward dalton these men numbering about fifteen thousand constituted the army of mississippi and were commanded by lieutenant-general leonidas pope a west point graduate 1827 polk had resigned from the army to enter the episcopal ministry in eighteen sixty one he was bishop of louisiana and entered the confederate service where he was known as the bishop general when polk joined johnston the confederate strength would be raised to about seventy thousand before polk arrived however sherman sent thomas and schofield against johnston's position on may seventh and eighth there was heavy fighting all along the lines from the area north of dalton south along rocky face ridge to dug gap the federals made no real headway but the demonstration served its purpose for mcpherson reached snake creek gap on the evening of the eighth and found it open james birdseye mcpherson who stood at snake creek gap on the morning of may nine With an opportunity to strike Johnston a crippling blow, was one of the Civil War's most attractive leaders. Like Sherman, he was an Ohioan and a West Pointer, 1853. In 1864, he was only 35 years old. His entire adult life had been spent in the Army, and in the Civil War, his abilities had carried him from Captain to Major General in slightly more than a year's time both sherman and grant looked upon him as an outstanding leader a belief shared by the confederate editor who called mcpherson the most dangerous man in the whole yankee army he was handsome with flowing hair and whiskers and he had a special reason for wanting the war to end when it was over he would be able to marry the beautiful girl who was waiting for him in baltimore he was courteous to men of all ranks and his adoring soldiers remembered long afterwards his habit of riding in the fields to leave the roads open for them on may ninth while skirmishing continued about dalton mcpherson led his army eastward hoping to reach the railroad near rasaka and break johnston's communication with atlanta unknown to the federals there were some four thousand confederates in Risaka, these included the advance elements of Polk's army, as well as infantry and cavalry units, assigned to guard the Ustanala bridges and to protect the area. The northern advance met these Southerners near the town. McPherson, surprised at finding so large a force in his front, moved with great caution. Late in the afternoon, he became worried that Johnston might rush troops southward and cut him off from Sherman this fear and the fact that some of his men were without food led him to break off the engagement and fall back to a position at snake creek gap which he fortified that night in the following days both armies shifted to the Resaca area sherman began by sending a division of thomas's army to aid mcpherson soon orders followed for almost all the federals to march southward with only a small detachment left to watch johnston all day on the eleventh the roads west of rocky face were crowded with troops wagons and guns although the march was slowed by a heavy rain nightfall of the twelfth found the northern army concentrated at snake creek gap johnston discovered the federal move and during the night of may 12, thirteen, ordered his men to rasaka where polk's troops had been halted skirmishing on the thirteenth developed the position of the armies johnston had posted his men on the high ground north and west of Resaca polk's corps as the army of mississippi was called held the confederate left hardy's men occupied the center and hood was on the right with his right flank curved back to conasauga river the federal advance mcpherson's army had moved directly toward Rissauga when the advance was slowed thomas moved to the north and formed his army on mcpherson's left schofield moved into position on thomas's left the battle of Resaca, fought may thirteen fifteen was the first major engagement of the campaign the thirteenth was spent in skirmishing and establishing the positions of the two armies the fourteenth saw much heavy fighting sherman delivered a major attack against the right center of johnston's line and was hurled back with a heavy loss one northerner described the confederate fire as terrific and deadly later hood made a determined assault on the federal left and was prevented from winning a great victory when union reinforcements were hurried to the scene from other sectors of the line late in the day troops from mcpherson's army made slight gains against the confederate left fighting ceased at dark although firing continued throughout the night there was no time for the men to rest however both johnston and sherman kept their soldiers busy digging fortifications caring for the wounded moving to new positions and preparing for the next day's battle the heaviest fighting on the fifteenth occurred in the northern end of the lines there both sides made attacks that achieved some local success but were inconclusive meanwhile a federal detachment had been sent down the ustinala to attempt a crossing at ley's ferry a few miles below rasaka it got over the river and secured a position from which to strike eastward against johnston's rail line the southern commander believed that this left him no choice but to retreat Accordingly, during the night of May 1516, the Confederates withdrew and crossed to the southern bank of the Oostenaula, burning the bridges behind them. As in the case with many Civil War battles, no accurate casualty figures were available for the engagement at Resaca. Federal losses were probably about 3,500. Confederate casualties were approximately 2,600. End of part one.